You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday the 7th of July, beautiful day here in TW11. Cloudless sky, going to get up to 28 degrees, 82 in old money. And looking forward to a fabulous weekend here in the UK, particularly and particularly at Sandown Park with the running of the Coral Eclipse. Just four of them, but four good ones. As I welcome Lydia Hislop into the show. Lydia Aidan O'Brien has talked about Paddington, his ascending three-year-old, having made unusual progress in a piece with the TDN overnight. Uh, another great O'Brien quote as he seeks another victory in the Coral Eclipse. But he has Emily up, John, in front of him. Dubai Honour and West Wind Blows making up the quartet. How much are you looking forward to it? I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic contest, even though there are only four horses in the race. And uh, that's going to put an interesting tactical angle on things uh, in terms of you know who's who's going to try and seize the advantage here. Uh, just, just looking at it without sort of thinking about what people might do to change things, um, you just wonder whether... Uh, the way that the the race could be set up might be to the advantage of Paddington and maybe to the disadvantage of Emily Upjohn. That means that maybe William Buick might have to do something different um, on Emily Upjohn to how she might have been ridden uh, more recently. Of course, we assume, don't we, that that Jamie Spencer is the key to this race on West Wind Blows. Spencer with two Group One wins to his name in the last in the last two weeks. Yes, exactly. Will he try and control the race in the way that West Wind Blows um, tried to control uh, the Hardwick uh, before? And he was well positioned in that, leading shortly after the start. And he put up a, a really strong performance, um, ultimately be- beaten a length and a quarter by Pile Driver. That was over a mile and a half, though. And, you know, w- will w- where will Paddington want to be? The, the point that... Um, that Aidan O'Brien was was talking about in the Thoroughbred um, Daily News was the the particular turn of foot that Paddington has got and his ability to quick off a fast pace. And he was talking about um, that being um, what makes a uh, uh, progeny of Siuni particularly different. So um, it'll be interesting to see what that what they what what Ryan Moore wants to do. On, on Paddington and uh, as I say and where will um, Emily Upjohn be with William, William Buick on board bearing in mind that she showed a sharp turn of foot albeit in the context of a mile and a half race at, at Epsom. And it's interesting isn't it how trainers are are creatures of habit. Uh, Aidan O'Brien immediately after the, the St James's Palace I think had the eclipse in mind even though it's only come to light in recent days and again you mentioned the sire Sayuni same sire as St Mark's Basilica the last Aidan O'Brien trained three-year-old to win the Eclipse two years ago, beating a small field of older horses. Yeah, the parallels are very, very evident, aren't they? Absolutely. And he goes into detail about that in the article. It's a very interesting article, actually. And uh, it, you can see why he might um, be particularly drawn to that race, given if if Paddington is reminding him in that kind of way um, uh, of St. Mark's Basilica. And these are the two highest rates is progeny that St. Mark, uh, that um, CNE has, has produced so far. Sotsas, of course, just behind them, Al-Hakim as well. Um it, that's what may have maybe have pushed him towards the eclipse, but also it's clear from the the quotes in the article that it's how well uh, Paddington has come out of Royal Ascot that has meant them 
go onto the front foot uh, rather than wait for the Sussex stakes and stick to a mile. They're wanting to explore the 10 furlongs and he has come out of, of Royal Ascot so well that they're inclined to go earlier uh, and, it, and it's all to the good because it makes it for a fascinating con um, contest, con contest. And it's doing, albeit, as I said, with only four runners, it's doing what it should do still, the race, which is the first significant clash of the generations over middle distances. So four of them for the Eclipse. Emily Upjohn looked pretty spectacular in the Coronation Cup and down she comes in, in distance. Shouldn't be a problem. Uh, she'll be roared home by an awful lot of people, but there will be no roars louder than those from, from John Shack, who is now her co-owner, her original owner uh, as well, having purchased her for, okay, what's still reasonable money to, to you and me, but not in the context of, of top-class thoroughbreds. And, and John joins me now. John, you've, you've been involved with your father, Cyril, in racehorse ownership for, for quite, a, quite a while now. Just how much joy has Emily Upjohn given you both or given you all as a family um an incredible amount because um just to give you a bit of context um we we were two years on lockdown because we were sort of a part of a vulnerable bubble and in October 2020 so sort of six seven months in to lockdown um we you know it was quite a depressing time really just for us and for the nation and we started to lose friends to COVID in London. Um, and my dad said, we, we, let's buy a yearling to have something to sort of look forward to. So that the context or the backdrop is quite an interesting one where we, we sort of approached John Gosden and Tom Goff of Blandford Bloodstock and said, we like to dip a toe. Oh, oh, we only buy fillies on a backward immature fillies because they're, they're the ones that are in our budget range and the rest is history really quite an incredible sort of uh, story with my dad cyril picking emily out from the book with um tom goff and then then the gosdens sort of rubber stamping it at the sales uh, and you won't mind me saying i'm sure your, your dad's a pretty remarkable man isn't he maybe, maybe just just tell us a, a a bit more about him well, he, he was sort of um, brought up in the East End of, of London in straightened circumstances. His, his dad was, was a milkman in the East End. And when he was seven, he was taken on a school trip to a farm um, in Kent where he saw horses. And, and it, it sort of gave him a bit of ambition. And he thought he loved the countryside. And he thought maybe one day he can have a farm and horses. So um, when he was in a position to do so, um, he he was sort of involved in setting up a, a trainer in Newmarket in 1976, uh, Paul Kellaway, who, who's sadly no longer around, but we think of him a lot. And in the first few years of ownership, my dad had such a nice sort of three group one winners and group twos and group threes. And it sort of, you know, fired his interest in it ever since and we think about paul kellaway a lot and also sir henry cecil who who taught us a lot as well and sir henry had some some good horses for you you've been with mark johnston as well am i right yes so mark johnston won my, won my first musadora for me with secret history in 2005 and we're still um, in, in um, a couple of his racing partnerships um with him 
And from from a young age, were you as bitten by the bug as your dad was? Was it was it in you fairly early on to to want to to, to consume racing in the same way? I think totally in my DNA because my grandparents were interested on both sides, my mum's side and my dad's side, and then fueled by my parents' interest. So, uh, so it was sort of. Uh, edged in, 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 into my DNA. And I, I said on TV after Epsom, um, my childhood dream has always been the Arc de Triomphe because I, um, I watched it with my grandparents in 1971 on their little black and white telly when uh, Mill Reef won with Jeff Lewis. So that, that's been a childhood dream of mine for the last, whatever, 42 years. So ho- hopefully we can, we can run there in October all, all being well. And of course, after the Oaks last year, when Emily was an unlucky runner-up, she was favourite for last year's arc. We know that uh, the season went a little downhill and then ended on a high, and then the comeback was fantastic in the in the Coronation Cup. Tell me a little bit about um, sharing Emily now with with the Lloyd Webbers. Um, the, the the best partners you can ever dream of. Um, I, I, I sort of feel really privileged to be in partnership with them, and um, the, the the main reason why I sort of chose them is that my dad and I had never, ever raced a four-year-old filly before. We'd always um, sold them at the end of their three-year-old careers. So it was slightly uncharted territory for me and my dad, but, you know, they, they've navigated through with some fantastic mm. older fillies with the Gosdens. So it was a sort of natural fit, and we've got a couple of mares with them as well. They look after them quite wonderfully at Kiltyne and in Ireland and watership down here. Um, so Simon Marsh, who I've known their racing manager and stud manager for decades, um, sort of, um, it was just a sort of natural fit for all of us. And we, we bring a bit of fun, you know, we've, we've had a lot of fun together. How do you feel about tomorrow's race? Uh, and when you look at it and, and having to, to concede weight to a, a, a hugely talented three-year-old of, of Aidan O'Brien's in, in your mind, how do you see the race unfolding? Um, well, the, with with only four runners, obviously it's going to be a bit tactical. But in, in a strange way, it's a sort of clash of the titans. You've got the young pretender, the three-year-old, um, sort of on the way up, but who's never sort of raced over a mile and a quarter against our sort of very experienced, sort of wily, sort of four-year-old, strong, athletic filly mayor now who who's won at sandown over the course uh, you know the course and distance so fascinating race and i think sort of very good for racing that it's it's two heavyweights against each other and, and in your mind you obviously the arc is there that's the target and working back from that but in your mind if it goes well tomorrow are you happy to write last year's wrong in the king george after that do you think yes i i think I mean, I'm sort of famous for sort of never, ever getting involved with the trainers and their decision-making, ever. And I just sort of devolve everything to them. They're, to my mind, the best trainers in the world. The, the, the team at Clarehaven are the most devoted, experienced staff and teams. And, you know, they're, they're the ones who have to guide us. You know, the, the filly, the mayor will guide the Gosdens and the team. And then the team will decide. So whether... Hopefully, if all goes well tomorrow it, and, and she's safe and sound, we may go for the King George or the Yorkshire Oaks or pre-Verme on the way to the Ark, hopefully. You know, it's all, 
you know, they, they, they keep everything flexible and uh, no, nothing sort of preordained. Well, we can't wait to see her. John, thanks so much for talking to me and, and sharing the, the joy that she's brought to the, the Shack family. Yes, and, and thanks for all the work you do for the industry and uh, we're very much appreciated. John Shack there, now the co-owner uh, and the original owner uh, with his father Cyril of, of Emily Up, John and Lydia, just his enthusiasm is, is infectious and his enthusiasm for the clash of two of two great horses, one a filly, one a colt, one a four-year-old, one a three-year-old, one trained by the, the dominant trainer in, in this country over the last uh, couple of decades, the other trained by uh, the, the dominant force in Europe, um, not to say the world, in the last two or three decades. I think it's great. Uh, it's going to be such such an interesting race after that devastating turn of foot that Emily Upjohn showed um, at, at Epsom because it was that that really, really... He, won it won it for her um but of course her very best form is thus far over a mile and a half but Frankie Dettori um obviously William Beat will be riding her for the very first time Frankie Dettori afterwards was very much emphasizing the speed that she'd shown at Epsom whereas John Gosden was was sort of maintaining an open mind about where where she might go next obviously he had Soul Sister to think about as well but yeah it's it her turn of foot is going to be interesting to see and Sandown's long rising straight as well uh might might help her but again positioning is and tactics is going to be absolutely key and we could be overlooking the best horse in the race couldn't we ah now thoroughbred racing commentary's global rankings are making a welcome return by popular demand i'll just quickly spin you through the top 10 in the world at the moment and this will probably have one or two of you falling off your seat or snorting your coffee in in derision but you understand how this works and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of these. At 10 at the moment is the Japanese horse Justin Palace. Nine is Elite Power, brilliant Breeders' Cup sprint winner who was very good in the desert in the, in the winter. Eight is Romantic Warrior, who's one of the best horses there's been in Hong Kong for a long time. Uh, seven is Mostadaf, the brilliant winner of the Prince of Wales' stakes. Interesting. I, I think some people would have thought he wouldn't have made it in here, but he's got, he's got a, a brilliant performance over a lot of horses that were, were previously highly ranked. Six is Lucky Swainess, the, the Hong Kong champion sprinter. Five is Giga Kick, again, a sprinter from Australia. A lot of sprinters in the top 10. Four is Animo, now retired, but a, the most winning most Godolphin Group 1 horse of all time. Three is Cody's Wish, also uh, owned by Godolphin. Uh, trained in, in America by Bill Mott, has been sublime this season, latterly in the Met Mile at Belmont Park. Two is Golden 60, uh, the most prolific ever Group 1 winner in, in Hong Kong. And number one is the Japanese star Equinox. Nobody's going to argue with Equinox. So none of the Eclipse entries in the top 10, Lydia. But as you were pointing out, just outside, we've got Dubai Honor at 11. And then you have to go down to Emily Upjohn at 20, Paddington at 22. And dear old Westwind Blows is in at 168. So TRC ranking says that Dubai Honor mightn't be quite as far behind Emily Upjohn and Paddington as uh, as the market suggests. And it's probably because he's done his improving not in front of British eyes, I think, to some degree. Um, it was a superb performance in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes, uh, a comfortable success there. And then he went on to the QE2 Cup and backed it up to a large degree, uh, not able to quite get involved with the winner in the second when finishing third in Chartin. Um so he is a he is an improved horse compared to last season. But of course, last season's form ties in Mustardeff. He chased home uh, Mustardeff in the mile and a half group three, the September stakes 
at Kempton. Um, and I can definitely understand why Mustadef is in is in the top ten. Yeah, um, I mean, he he was the second best horse in the in the Shima class to, for my money behind Equinox when not getting home. And then he beat a substantial field on whom we were focused on his rivals rather than him, with no fluke about it last time out and a four length defeat of Luxembourg. So he very much merits merits his place, I think. And uh, I'll just make one political comment, which is that the uh, the tightest rules when it comes to black type races are in Europe. Go on. Well, in terms in in, in terms of the way that the, that the, that the pattern committees uh, police their their races. Absolutely. And- but the, the algorithm takes stock of that. So Hong Kong, for example, doesn't have that many Group 1 races. Uh, Hong, I know, Hong Kong is very competitive, absolutely. So the fact so there, and that that's why Golden 60, Lucky Swain S there, Romantic... No, 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 no quibble with that, quibble with that whatsoever. I, I'm, I'm sensing a, I'm sensing a bit of, in the spirit of the ashes, I'm sensing a bit of... Ash- <laughs> Towards our, our Australian friends, many of whom are very loyal listeners to this podcast. I know, I know, and I'm going to annoy them. Yeah, um, it's just the idea. Animo winning most horse for Godolphin in, um, in Group Ones. He's the, he's their most Group Ones. Yeah. Group One horse, isn't he? Yeah, is he is he their best horse? Um, no, right. No, he's not. But then, but that it's not always. I mean, Goldacova won more Group and Grade One races than Zarkava, for example. But was she a better horse? I loved Goldacover. I mean, we, we, we are oh, really, so did I. We're really splitting hairs here at, at an absolutely rarefied level, Zarkava and Goldacover. Um, and, you know, the, the, the fact that Goldacover was able to go over to America and, and win, win the races that she won there, um, you know, I, I, she's, she's in, incredibly impressive. Zarkava was brilliant, obviously. But, yeah, I, I suppose I, I'm, I'm just remembering the horses that, uh, that, that made Godolphin famous and uh, and thinking that they are um, ill-served by Animo um, being remembered as the w- winning most Group 1 horse of theirs. Well, uh, I, I do apologise, uh, our loyal Australian listeners. Except she doesn't really. Sorry, not sorry. And <laughs> um, I, I'm apologising for multiple uses of the word winning most, which will have all sorts of pedants screaming and throwing things and writing um, nasty messages on Twitter. Or, or At least it wasn't winningest. Yeah, well, that's true. That's I might have used that in the past as well. So it won't be on Twitter anymore anyway. It'll be on Threads, won't it? Yes. It's oh, yes. Yeah, I was I was hearing about that. Yeah. You're not on yet, no? No. <laughs> no, I am not. But it means you. It means you can avoid Elon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there is a lot of attraction to that as well as my data limit has been reached. Yes, absolutely. It it it's a frying pan fire situation, isn't it? Why don't we all just go and, you know, live like hermits in the hills? Well, yesterday we did actually pay some attention to jump racing, maybe not for the right reasons. Today I will pay attention to to jumping for very much the right reasons, and that is the barnstorming start to the 23-24 season for rider Sean Bowen, who, if he carries on at this rate, might pose the first meaningful threat for a while to Brian Hughes, who ran away with last season's championship. 44 plays 27 at the moment. Sean's on his way to Newton Abbott today, market raising tomorrow. All the glamour spots, Sean, but you don't mind at the moment. Things are going incredibly well. Yeah, you obviously don't, don't mind being busy when when, um, when it's going as well as it is and uh, the run's been going very well and hopefully that will continue. Now, this has been flagged up for a while. Lots of people have been saying, right, well, what's Sean Bowen? He's going to be the next one. He's going to be riding all the winners. Um, why is why has it clicked into place this, this last few months? 
Um, look, last season was a very, I had a, a very, very good season. Finished second, obviously, on 125 winners. So it's, I suppose it's just um, natural progression, really. Um, I'm riding for more people, and I'm riding for very, very good people as well, which, which is obviously a massive plus. And um, it just, I, I suppose, it's just happened that my trainers are in great form, and uh, luckily, I'm riding them all. Yeah, so you you have to build up those those relationships. Just just tell us how you're how you're dividing your time at the moment. Obviously, you're riding quite a lot for for Ollie Murphy, and his string seems to get more and more powerful. You you have a good good kind of understanding with him. Yeah, no, Ollie's Ollie's very good. He sort of he he knows that he's he's not as busy this time of year, so he sort of lets me get on with it best I can. And if 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 he really fancies one and wants me to ride it I'll, I'll ride it but at the same time if I've got something better to ride in the race he'll always let me off and let me ride the others so he's obviously got a great understanding of, of what I'm trying to achieve this season and um, the same with sort of dad's horses always sort of fly this time of year and Gordon's been giving me a great amount of winners this season as well so um, I I suppose it's, a, it's an understanding between all my trainers, really. Yeah. And, and is that is that more kind of solidified connection with with Gordon Elliott when he brings horses to the UK? Is that come about through Ollie Ollie Murphy and his connection with him? Um, uh, a little bit, but this, uh, when I was actually fourteen and I was pony racing, I went over there to work with him for a few weeks in my summer holidays and did that a couple a couple of times and um i've always sort of had the odd ride for him and then when um when dicky retired I, I i sort of picked up more rides the more he brought over the more rides i sort of had for him and um it obviously went very very well and we had a full timer at perth a couple of meetings ago and uh he's obviously he's obviously happy to, to use me when when he brings them over and i'm obviously very grateful to him for providing me with plenty of winners and we talk a lot about the, the relentlessness of a, of a jump jockey's life and it never really stops and maybe needing a, a separate season in the summer. I'm, I'm guessing at the moment you, you don't mind that because you've, you've got the momentum behind you. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm young and enjoy riding and love going racing every day. So I suppose um, for, for me, I don't, really ever, I, I, I don't really want to slow down. And obviously while the momentum's up, you, you need to keep that going. So... Um, yeah, look, you never mind being busy when when it's all going as well as it is. Tell me a little bit about how how satisfying it still is to ride winners for for your dad Peter, because I I didn't realise until I spoke to him the other day he he doesn't actually have all that many horses in training, but I thought he might might have four times more because he still trains that many winners. Yeah, yeah, no, I, look, I I might be very biased, but I I think Dad does very very well for the number of horses he has and sort of the horses and budget he, he he pays for horses so look when 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 you ride winners for for your family it's there's there's nothing better than that and um i su- i suppose probably the highlight of my career was when i won the top and chase um for dad at Aintree on matt Totty and that just just riding them big winners for your family is it, it's it's something completely different and in terms of when the when the better horses start coming forward and and Ollie Murphy's good really good young horses start coming out have you got your eyes on a couple that you think could really break through next season yeah he obviously um had had loads of bumper winners last season and i think two that stand out to me was Endeavor Blur one at Weatherby and Sao Carlos 
um, one at Market Raisin. They're both by Blue Brazil, obviously, the side of Constitution Hill, which is very exciting as well. But they they were two that stood out. And um, obviously, you look forward to them and, and the good novice hurdlers going novice chasing. So, um, yeah, I think I'll have plenty of good, good horses to ride, as, as I will plenty of horses to ride. So, um, yeah, like you say, ho- hopefully that continues into the winter and hopefully there's a few nice ones emerge throughout the winter. Jockey Sean Bowen there, who's quietly amassing a significant lead at the head of the British Jumps Jockeys Championship. We had a little bit of focus on jump racing yesterday too, because of that extraordinary case of Hillsin, uh, the horse aboard whom Dylan Kitts made scant effort at Worcester the night before last. And we spoke to Hillsin's trainer, Chris Honor. Now, Lydia, there's been a development here. The horses owned by Hillsin's owner have left the yard of, of Chris Honor, which seems to be quite significant i listened to what chris had to say to you yesterday and he sounded genuinely distressed and on the verge of tears he talked about his embarrassment for his staff and his the threats that his family have received which is utterly unacceptable he also explained that he didn't know the rider dylan kitts who was riding for him for the first time on hillson and that uh, Dylan had been employed at the request of owner Alan Clegg. Um, Alan has had um, horses in training with a, a variety of different trainers in the southwest, and this horse, um, on Chris Honor's request and a stable companion, has been asked to be transferred, and they've gone to Brian Barr's yard. Um, and Chris Honor explained, and this is in Lewis Porteous's article in the Racing Post, um, that if he kept the horse, it was going to keep bringing back bad publicity. I'd rather be f- away from it, and I don't want to be a part of it. Um, so in, in terms of the investigation that is going to go on, and um, this uh, incident was referred by the stewards in terms of the jockey, to the disciplinary panel uh, because as uh, Jack was Jack Keane was mentioning yesterday this is his uh, second offence he uh, Dylan Kitts received a 14-day non-trial ban on the 13th of May at Warwick for the Warren Greatrix trained Jet of Dreams um, for failing to use all reasonable and permissible measures uh, in his evidence at uh, Worcester he claimed that um, in this interview with the stewards that the horse had made a respiratory noise and that he was hanging in the home straight and he was unable to uh, ride him as he would wish to so he's been referred the horse has been banned for 40 days which will still be maintained whoever whoever trains the horse uh, and Chris Honor feels that his honor no pun intended has been uh, has been besmirched and he was quite adamant about that and clearly this has been a very um, unhappy time for him I think Chris has um, conducted himself in a uh, in a in a, how's it, in a very measured way uh, he has declined um, clear invitations, or it, it is implied in the things that he said, to, um, to 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 besmirch other people, and he is relying on the British Horse Racing Authority's investigation. And all he has said is that he's he's perfectly happy. He wants he wants the inter- investigation to be carried out thoroughly because he knows he's done nothing wrong. So I certainly admire how measured he has been in response to what has clearly been a difficult time, and for which he claims uh, he. Claims claims that he has uh, no responsibility. Um, he's right when he says that he produced the horse, Hilson, to run one of his better career races. He definitely did. Now, Lydia, last week we heard quite a bit about the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, um, matters of, of financial practice and scrutiny on the regulator, in part 
because it is funded and um, partly by by taxpayers' money. The overarching governing body of Irish racing, Horse Racing Ireland, has now also found itself uh, in in crosshairs and being questioned by various parliamentarians. Why? TD um, Catherine Murphy, the equivalent of uh, MPs in Britain, she's a former co-leader of the Social Democrats, claimed in Parliament that an RTE star was paid a, a substantial amount of public funds. Dieran Garrahy, who was paid a total of €27,600, says Catherine Murphy, by HRI um, for her content on TikTok and Instagram channels. Um, this was to promote Ch- the Cheltenham Festival, uh, which Murphy described as an event in another jurisdiction. Um, also also for promoting the Dublin Racing Festival and um, Galway, and there were some other people as well who she claimed had been said had been funded by um, HRI in order to uh, promote horse racing. And well, I mean, first of all, I'd call her out on the other jurisdiction comments because it's whether you think twenty seven thousand pounds of public money is too much to spend on somebody promoting uh, promoting horse racing by by social media is 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 neither here nor there Cheltenham's contribution to to horse racing Ireland is huge so I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all I totally agree with that I think that that is a, a one a misunderstanding of how horse racing works and that in order for uh, horses to be uh, widely celebrated, they need to win at Cheltenham. You know that that that's one of the the key points, and you know, lots of trainers' reputations are built around that as well. So it's a lack of understanding there of that, and also it's 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 a it's a slightly political comment, isn't it? It's talking to a sort of you know a, a national or nationalistic audience in the way that uh, many of our um, ministers do here in Britain. Um, so, but the question mark is about, um, it raises questions on how, on how HRI uses its public funding, um, because it's, uh, funded by the government to the tune of 72.8 million euros in 2023. And it's asked for more funding to cover costs arising from increased insurance costs, the difficulties posted by Brexit and the need for investment in veterinary care. Um, but obviously HRI would point out the substantial amount of money that it generates for the country's economy. There's also another area in which um, they've, their um, use of funds has come under scrutiny. And I got this from an article um, from the journal on uh, Wednesday, and it was a, a story that um, has was first commented on by an education lecturer called Cara Riley, who um, highlighted um, that uh, influencer teachers are being paid by HRI to promote horse racing, and then the teachers are uploading content from the classroom. So um, they're using HRI resources in classrooms and then sharing content recorded during the, the school day and then declaring this recorded classroom activity as paid promotion on their personal channels. Now, again, I feel I'm in in two parts here. Now, lots of people will think might think all of that is completely wrong. I'm certainly uncomfortable with the idea of um, teachers uh, sharing content from inside classrooms on their um, social media media channels and potentially being paid for that. So I think HRI do have some questions to answer about what they expect from um from from teachers and the idea of um funding individual teachers or paying individual t- teachers again that makes me feel quite uncomfortable on the subject of whether um matters about horse racing should be used as teaching materials well i, I feel slightly differently now lots absolutely of people, yeah lots of people disagree with me I wish a, I'd have. 
I wish I'd had horse racing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's loads of things that you can you can do uh, use horse racing for as you can other things in other walks of life, you know, general society. So, you know, you can use it to do comprehension tests. You can use it for uh, creative writing. You can use it for maths, physics, biology. There's loads of things that you can use a given subject of which horse racing is one. And if HRI or the British Horse Racing Authority were providing materials for free that would enable that kind of teaching i would be entirely co comfortable about that i appreciate that others may not be particularly perhaps because of horse racing's links to betting but also maybe they might feel that a, a particular way of life is being promoted but i i'm i'm perfectly comfortable with that where i'm not comfortable and i think that hri does have some questions to answer and also the education board has some questions to answer or individual teachers and individual schools is that element of uploading private content Content from inside the classrooms, bearing in mind the strict but rules that parents have about they what must have, they, have must have checked, they must have checked that out, though, mustn't they? I mean, you would have thought, you would have thought so. You would have thought so. I mean, the department. I mean, every parent always has to sign a waiver in every school about whether whether you're allowed to use use images of images of kids, even in official publications. Never mind on somebody's private social media. Exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, I, I, I want to know. I, I mean, it, it's a perfectly reasonable surmisation to make, but I would want to know the answer to, answer to that question. I'd want to know what the expectations from HRI to the individual um, influencer teachers were and whether there were any particular requirements about that. Um, a spokesman for the Department of Education has said that while all skills are legally maintained by the School Board of Management or Education and Training Board, the department believes it would be inappropriate for commercial content to be made on school property. This is a quote. In the department's view, it would not generally be appropriate for commercial content to be shot on school property. However, such decisions are a matter for the Board of Management and the ed local education board involved. All schools must comply with data protection requirements, including the requirements of GDPR, and that must ensure that any data, including videos, is processed in compliance with data protection legislation. Um, so, yeah, just questions. And the, the thing I'm finding interesting um, from afar, um, and I'm sure it's very uncomfortable, is how much scrutiny HRI and... Um, IH, um, uh, the IHRB are coming under in public life externally um, at the moment. Well, if you are a pretty regular listener to this podcast, you will be familiar with my next guest because he is Harlan Malta, the man behind Iron Horse Stables, the people who brought you Buchero, both as a racehorse and as a, a stallion. As a racehorse, ran a wonderful race at Royal Ascot behind uh, Batash and Blue Point in that memorable King Stan stakes, but has gone on to be a real hit in the in the breeding shed and in an earlier installment of this project harlan was telling us on the pod how it was his great ambition to get a horse by buchero back to england to royal ascot to complete the circle very nearly happened this year when a two-year-old called mattingly was second in the inaugural royal palm colts race you'll remember uh, the philly crimson advocate won the the philly's equivalent at gulfstream and came on and won at royal ascot but there are all sorts of plans afoot and it's a great pleasure that in association with Great British Racing International, who've been following this story and documenting it, I can check in with Harlan once again now. So since we last met uh, Harlan, Mattingly has not only finished second in that Royal Palm, the son of Bukera, but has also gone on and broken his maiden. So it's a good place to start. Yes, Nick, it was uh, it was a good way to return home. I had an amazing week in uh, 
at Royal Ascot. Uh, it was good seeing you and uh, got home and we brought him back for his uh, follow up race. And uh, it was a short field at Gulfstream, a maiden special weight, but uh, he did it the way you'd, you'd hope to put away the field very early and then kind of just galloped his way home by about six lengths. So it was uh, it's always a relief after you have a solid debut for them to I think he went off at two to five or three to five to uh, then kind of deliver the goods. So we're kind of off to the races, as you'd say, um, pointing toward uh, a couple stakes options over the next two weeks. And is the dream for him still maybe to come back to Ascot at some point? If all goes well this year and he turns into a, a genuine high-grade stakes level performer, would you consider it in, in 2024? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, every time I come back to Royal Ascot and, and, and attend the races and it was amazing this year, I got hosted by a great British racing international and, uh, had an amazing experience and it just, it just drives me more to get something there. I think when I went there with Bucero, uh, you know, that was the question. I think two or three people asked, you know, are you there for the trip? Or are you there to win? And, you know, I think everyone realized once he ran, we were there to win. And so I'd like to go there with a horse that has a real shot. And uh, obviously, you know, you let the horses do the talking. And if if, if over the next uh, six or seven months we, we see that in Mattingly, it would 100% be something that we'd love to do. But we know, of course, that Bukera has such a special place in your heart for so many reasons that you've detailed on this podcast before. And it's as much about getting his name through Europe as a stallion as is the case in, in the United States. Just tell us about the project you've just embarked on with, with James Ferguson in Newmarket. Absolutely. So um, really right off the plane, went straight up to uh, Newmarket uh, before Royal Ascot. And uh, I'd spoken to James on the phone once and uh, I actually didn't know that much about James um, uh, until uh, until we kind of got a chance to talk more and just incredibly impressed. Uh, I've wanted to get a horse to Newmarket. I've wanted to get a Bucero there. And after spending uh, the whole morning with him, uh, I'm, I'm that much more excited. He has a very, uh, um, he's very excited about uh, his prospects, uh, racing in, in the UK and uh, seeing his yard and, and being part of that uh, just kind of elevated my, uh, my desire to do that. We have a couple yearling prospects uh, within our own breeding operation uh, that have some possibilities. Uh, actually, one uh, got an update also right after I got back from Alaska, we own a, a street cry broodmare who's a half to a horse uh, named Northern Invader, uh, who made a real big splash uh, last weekend at Belmont with a dominating main special weight win. And I've heard his uh, next target is the Hall of Fame at Saratoga. Uh, so we actually have three Bucaros out of uh, his half-sister. So uh, that one's on the uh, card as a possibility. But uh, as we all know in horses, uh, we'll probably wait until we're booking the flight over to uh, Newmarket with the yearling to kind of make our final choice on who's going to go over there. But that is 100% on, on target. Um, we're going to put a group together uh, who's really excited about the whole operation uh, over there. And, um, you know, having having gone through the whole process uh, um, with Great British Racing International and bringing over owners and kind of some of the things that they can do to help make it easier and accommodate it, um, I think it's a process that uh, while I probably thought was a little intimidating initially and maybe just a pipe dream is, is definitely going to happen this fall. All right. Looking forward to seeing you in the autumn, uh, Harlan. Thanks so much. And um, may the may the dream stay well and truly alive. Great. Thanks a lot for having me, Nick. All right, Lydia, before we wrap up today, just a quick word on, on, the, on the thoroughbred census that we were talking about yesterday with um, representatives from the, the Horse Welfare Board. Uh, and maybe just underline briefly why this is so important and why it's a good thing. I mean, this is so important. I can't stress how important this is in terms of... Um, 
horse racing's uh, social license, essentially, and its ability to be able to say to the rest of society, um, we are a responsible industry, and here is the proof. So the census will help fill a gap in data due to low levels of equine identification um, documents updates being undertaken so that's basically the, the passport once thoroughbreds go into private ownership so we've got a very good idea of what uh, thoroughbreds are doing whilst they're in the industry but certainly at, once they move out of the industry and certainly after the first move out into the industry so like the second owner and beyond that is where there is a, a data gap so this census will be able will enable the horse welfare board and the british horse racing authority to be able to understand where racehorses are when they retire from the sport it's part of the five-year welfare strategy a life well lived it's part of the commitment to improve traceability for all horses bred for racing as you mentioned yesterday it's going to be carried out by equine research experts at Hartbury Hartbury University and all owners of former racehorses will be encouraged to complete and submit the census between the 28th of June and New Year's Eve of this year and it just is going to build intelligence and and improve understanding about the lives that former racehorses go on to lead so if you've got an ex-racehorse or you know someone who's got an ex-racehorse I'd really encourage them to uh to fill out this census and to help the horse racing industry uh, improve itself and bring up its already high standards to a higher level in Britain. Yeah, ror.org.uk. The steps are there. It's very easy. Just go to registration and it'll take you all the way through. Do you have something for me for the weekend? I do. Uh, it's at Doncaster this evening, actually. Uh, sorry, this afternoon, actually, Nick, uh, in the 405. And that horse is Nomadic Empire for David O'Mara. Jason Watson uh, is on board. Um, and this horse has been dropping down the weight. He's run pretty well over six furlongs the last two times. Five furlongs is his best trip, however. Three of his four wins have been at that trip. He likes Doncaster. He's run well over this course and distance from higher marks. He was second in this race last year of a £10 higher mark. So it's Nomadic Empire in the 405 at Doncaster today, Friday. Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating and or a review wherever you consume your pods. You'll be able to consume another one from nine o'clock this evening as we round up the week with Charlotte and you'll be able to get back on the podcast train with us on Monday. But that uh, was Friday, the 7th of July. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the Coral Eclipse. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.